0: Let's open with a word of prayer, and we're going to finish off the book of Deuteronomy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask again that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We thank you for the example of the life of Moses, a man who was a type of our Savior, a man who was used mightily by you, a mighty man of God, but also a flawed man like the rest of us. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... Amen. So, Deuteronomy. We're finishing not only Deuteronomy, we're finishing what is known as the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five. It's also called the Law of Moses. The first five books of the Bible written by Moses, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're finishing that up today. And as we do... Just be reminded that Deuteronomy means second giving or the second giving of the law. And this goes all the way back from this journey began in the book of Exodus. The last four books, we've really been looking largely at the life of Moses and how God used this man in such a mighty and a powerful way. You know, it's been said that there's never been a man more irreplaceable than Moses. If you think about it, Moses was the only man that interacted directly with God of all the people on the planet at the time. He was the only man that received the word of God into his hands. He was the only man who was really interceding on behalf of the three million people wandering in the wilderness. And now they're about to enter in to the land of promise after a 40-year death march in which the entire generation in front of them had all died in the wilderness. And now they're about to head into the land of promise and they're being told that the one guy who has always led them, the one guy they struggled with, the one guy they complained about, but also the one guy that was the consistent representation of God to them, wasn't going with them. And what we need to be reminded of is that no man and no woman is irreplaceable because it's not about men and women, it's about the Lord. He's the head of the church. You know, Chuck Smith went to heaven and the church continues. Amen? Billy Graham is getting old, the church will continue. Mighty men of God, mighty women of God have come and gone. But you know what? The Word of God endures forever and the God of the Word is unchanging, almighty, all-powerful. You know, and praise God for that. And so we have peace in the midst of it, but here they are, and you can imagine, so they have been delivered out of bondage, but you remember, when they got to the land of promise the first time, they saw the giants in the land, and they listened to the ten spies that that doubted, instead of the two that said, we can whip them. God is for us, who can be against us? The two were Joshua and Caleb. And guess what? Out of that generation, the only two that enter in above the age of 20 are Joshua and Caleb. Caleb. Everybody else dies in the wilderness because of their lack of faith, and that 11-day day journey becomes a 40-year death march. So now as we come to the end of Deuteronomy, we saw that last couple weeks that, that Moses wrote, uh, they called the Song of Moses, the first ever published song that no one has ever published that I know of, because it's pretty heavy stuff. And a lot of what he's been doing in this book of Deuteronomy, the first 10 chapters, he was reminding them of all that God had done for them, the parting of the Red Sea, delivering them out of bondage, uh, you know, manna from the sky, uh, water from a rock, the pillar of fire, you know, and the pillar of smoke that led them day and night. So they woke up every morning looking up to see where the pillar was so they could follow it. But the last 22 chapters, 23 chapters, have all been warnings, saying, you're going to go into a land and you're going to be tempted. And you're going to be surrounded by idol worship. You're going to be surrounded by false gods. You're going to be surrounded by sexual immorality. And you're going to be surrounded by a lot of nonsense. And you know what? The only way that you're going to survive there is if you keep your eyes on me. And guys, you and I, we go out into the world that's not unlike the world that they came into. It's surrounded with sexual immorality and false gods and the things of this world. And the only way we can live holy and set-apart lives is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? So... This man who was used mildly by God, who had spent 80 years in preparation for 40 years of ministry, is now hours away from dying. And he knows it. And now these are his final words, his final exhortations to the people that he loves, the people that he has cared for. And what we're going to see tonight is he was a man used mildly by God, but because he was used so mildly by God, he was a man who had heavy accountability on his life. Because he doesn't get to enter in, but the three million whiners do. Amen? They're always moaning, always complaining, always murmuring. They get to go in, but Moses doesn't. Certainly Moses had been a more righteous man, a more holy man, a more God-fearing man. But because he was the authority, because he was in a position of speaking on behalf of God, he had a higher level of accountability. It says in Timothy, "...let not many of you be teachers." Believe me, every time I te- I've been teaching the Bible 30 years, and you know, two or three times a week for 30 years. And you know what? Every time I teach the Bible, I have fear and trembling. Why? Because I'm going to stand before Almighty God in Judgment Day and be accountable of it. So, I believe me, f- uh, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. This is all I can do. People always ask me, how do you know you're called to ministry? I say, if you can do anything else, you're not called. Amen? If you can do anything else, go do that. Because if you're called, you can't do anything else. And that was Moses' heart. And so we're going to see the last days of Moses' life, a man who had experienced life as a rich Egyptian prince, then as a shepherd in the desert of Midian, and finally the deliverer of the children of Israel. Love Moses. Far from perfect, just like all of us. But he was uh, linked directly to the law. And at the same time was a picture of our Savior. And while one of the greatest prophets of all time, he was also a man of frailty. We know he's not going into the land. Who remembers why he's not going in? Why? He smote the rock. rock. But you know, really, it wasn't just that he smote the rock. It was that he misrepresented God. Because he was supposed to speak to the rock. The first time they looked for water, they smote the rock. The rock's a picture of Jesus and him dying on the cross. But we don't put Jesus back up on the cross anymore. It's finished. Amen? And now we, he doesn't have to be beaten anymore. Now we speak to him. And when Moses proclaimed to them, he was angry. And he said, you're making us deliver this water to you. And he was kind of taking some credit. And he was misrepresenting God. And you know what? Because of that one incident, he's not entering into the land of promise. And my prayer always is that we would not misrepresent God. Amen. That we And and, hey, as the church, how's the church doing in representing God right about now? How are we doing? Not too good. When people think of Christians often, it's sad because they look at, you know, oh, they're, they're real political and, you know, they hate this and they hate that and they know about what we're against more than what we're for. And again, I'm not talking about us as individuals, but the church in general, there's a way that people look at us. But I'll tell you what. I love what you see in the book of Acts, if you're here on Sundays, everywhere they went they said they've been turning the world upside down everywhere that they go. I'd rather be known for that. How about you? That they've been preaching the gospel without compromise, they've been loving people supernaturally, and we're going to see Moses' final moments. I want to say this too, as we're hours away from Moses' death to begin the chapter. Do you know that nobody dies too soon? It says, in first, it says in Hebrews, it is appointed for a man once to live and then to die, but after that the judgment. So death is not an accident, it's an appointment. Amen? Oh, he died too soon. She died too soon. No, they died right on time. Exactly when God said we would. Amen? And I believe we're indestructible until God's through with us. A few years ago, I, did, uh, I had a, a 30-year-old young man who was one of my worship leaders in the youth group in San Jose who was an on-fire Christian who got a brain tumor and died pretty quickly. And I hadn't seen him in a few years, and he, I got there to his deathbed, and he said, Pastor Dave, I want you to get up and preach the gospel like you never have in your life, because my whole family's going to be there. And everybody was worried, oh, he died so young, he died so young, and then they had a video of him leading us in worship, and he said, I just want you to know, I'm doing better than all of you, because I'm hanging out with Jesus right now. Can we say amen to that? Moses doesn't enter into the land of promise. Where does he go instead? Heaven. Amen? Heaven's better. So praise God for that. So grab your outline. I titled the message, death of Moses, finishing strong. How many of you, be honest, don't raise your hand, but think about this. When God doesn't give you what you want, you pout, or get mad at God, or you forsake fellowship, or... It happens. Can we say amen to that happens? Amen? Well, I prayed and God didn't give me what I wanted, so I'm not even going to go to church. I'll show God. I'll just be miserable instead. You know what I mean? I'll show God because I prayed and I didn't get what I wanted. Moses is the exact opposite of that. Moses finds out he's not going in, and we're going to see in the death of Moses a warning to be heeded and then an example to follow. First of all, sin has consequences. Can we say amen to that? Even though we've been forgiven, are we forgiven as Christians of our sin? Of all of our sin? The sins we're going to commit were forgiven. Is that true? It is. But do they still have consequences? What's the answer? We're going to see that in tonight's text. I talked to a pastor friend of mine yesterday. He's not a pastor anymore. I led him to the Lord at work. He became one of my assistants in Santa Cruz for 10 years. Uh, We helped him plant a church nearby. Church was exploding. God was doing great things. A couple of years ago, he called me on the phone weeping. He had been caught committing adultery. Out of the ministry, moved to Idaho. I talked to him on the phone yesterday. His direct quote to me was, Pastor Dave, when you talk to your people about the consequences of sin, tell them that no matter how bad they think the consequences can be, they're actually worse than that. He's disqualified from ministry. When you hear his name, that's the only, you don't think about 20 years of being a faithful pastor, you think about the thing that he did instead. Don't, we want to be men and women of integrity, amen? That That we're not perfect, we're forgiven, but we should be, without accusation from the outside. When people think about us, they think about the about the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, and they see it evident in our life. So we're going to see the consequences of sin and that no one's irreplaceable. And we're going to see that with authority comes great responsibility. Moses was a faithful servant for over 40 years. You see all the list of things he accomplished there. But Moses misrepresented God, and due to his actions, he would not enter into the land of promise. And again, God is a God of grace who forgives, but his grace forgives, but his government over the world allows sin's consequences upon our life. Those who he loves, he disciplines. Isn't discipline good for us? What's the answer? How's it working out right now with a lot of undisciplined people running around the world? How's that working out so far? Ask anybody who works in a school how that's working out. Ask anybody who's in an environment where there's just no authority, there's no discipline, it's a train wreck. And it certainly should not be said of Christians, amen? Praise God that he loves me enough to discipline me when I need it. And then point number two, and I want to say this, Moses is going to remain faithful even in the midst of the consequences of his sin. Too often when somebody faces the consequence, they want to blame God. We rebel against God, and then God disciplines us for being in rebellion, and then we get mad at God that he disciplines us for being in rebellion. Amen? How dare God tell us what he's going to do if we do it? Then we do it, and he does what he said he was going to do. How dare he? I've been on the phone now 13 days straight with a young man who's contemplating suicide, who lives in Georgia, and, and he just says, well, I keep praying and asking God to t- turn the clock back to 2012 so I can do a different thing then, and I won't be dealing with all the consequences of my behavior. I'm like, bro, that's never going to happen. And he loves you enough to let you suffer right now, because you need to, to get on your knees and cry out to the Lord. Can we say amen? That's not a popular message. We're going to see that tonight. And then finally, he's not a, there's not only a warning to be heeded from Moses, but an example to follow, because he finishes strong. I've mentioned to many of you, my dad passed away on August the 4th. didn't pass away. He graduated. Amen? He moved to a much better neighborhood. Amen? I, I'm sorry for your loss. I appreciate the sentiment. He's not lost. I know exactly where he is. Amen? <laughs> but he finished strong. And we would hang up the phone. Every time I talked to my dad, the last 20 years of his life, we always finished every, every, every phone call. And we talked every day on the phone. I'd say, I love you, Dad. He'd say, I love you, too, son. I'd, and then we'd say it together. Let's finish strong for Jesus. Amen? We're going to see Moses finishing strong. He's not going to pout. He's not going to murmur. He's not going to complain about his circumstances. He's going to finish strong. He's going to take every moment of his life to live it out loud for the Lord. So let's begin there in verse 1 of the final chapter of Deuteronomy. The death of Moses finishing strong. We're first going to see warnings to be heeded. That sin indeed does have consequences. Even on the most righteous among us. Verse 1 through 3. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south, the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of the palm trees as far as Zoar. God brings Moses up onto the mountain just outside of the land of promise and then allows him... More than likely, it must have been supernatural, because it's a lot of land, no matter how high up he was. And God shows him the entire land of promise that he's never going to enter into. But he shows him the land, and in the previous two chapters, he was telling each of the tribes what they would inherit in the land. And and he's going to go on to say, this is the land. It's throughout the Old Testament. This is the land God has given to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which are the Jewish people. Can we say amen to that? Guess what? This land is a lot bigger than Israel is today. This land that he's looking out on includes much of Saudi Arabia, all of Jordan, two-thirds of Iraq, uh, parts of Egypt, Syria. All of that is included in the land that God gave. So they're fighting over the Western Bank as to who it belongs to. Let me clue you in. It belongs to Israel. All of it. And before it's over, they're getting it back. As the word of God says so. Amen? People used to mock before 1948 that, oh, the Bible talks about Israel. There's no, it hasn't been Israel in 2,000 years. What's well, the only nation in the history of the world that ceases to be a nation, becomes a nation again, and all the people are gathered back to the nation? Israel. If the United States ceases to be a nation for, for 150 years, you'd have a hard time finding Americans to come back. 2,000 years. And people came back from Russia and you and all over the world. God has His hand on Israel. Well, he looks out and he gets to see the land. Now he could have been angry. They all get to go in the land of promise. How come I don't get to go. They've been whining for 40 years, and I went out there and delivered them. And I went and faced Pharaoh, and I went up on the mountain. They were worshiping around a golden calf when I came down. Some of them are going in. How come I- But Moses has an eternal perspective. And when Moses sees the land, he gets to see God's promises, even though he's not personally going to enjoy it. Isn't it good to know that God is faithful to his promises even when men fail? Amen? Moses failed, but God's promise was still going to happen. Amen? Now, here's the reality whether I am faithful or not, God is still going to perform his promises because he's faithful. So some people say, well, why do I need to do anything if God's still good? Because don't you want to participate in the blessings of God? Don't you want to be a tool in the hand of your master? Don't you want to be somebody that God chooses to use for his kingdom and for his glory? Isn't that a privilege? Isn't that a get-to? Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Moses blew it, but God's still going to fulfill his promise. Because he is indeed a faithful God. You hear that term all the time from, you know, Dan is the northernmost part. If you go to Israel, and we're going we're, we're gonna to plan a trip here. I think we're going to do one next year, but I keep saying that. Forgive me. But I had another church ask me just last week if we would maybe go with them, and I'm looking into it. So from Dan to Beersheba, you know, Dan to the north, Beersheba to the south, that's Israel. And if you go up to to Dan, to this day, it's water coming right up out of the ground, the most beautiful water you've ever seen. If you look in Israel, I've talked about this many times, every fruit and every vegetable known to mankind can all be grown in Israel, and it's the only country in the world where that's true, and it's the size of New Jersey. That's a God thing. Amen? God has his hand upon them. And so he gets to look out, and he sees the land of promise, but he's going to die just outside of the land of promise. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants, and I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. You know, Lord, you could have left that last sentence out of that verse. Did I really need to hear that again? I already know that. You don't have to remind me. You know, I'm looking out. Hey, Moses, this is amazing. This is the land I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've been talking about it for 40 years. And look, by the way, you're not going. (laughs) Again, those who the Lord loves, he loves enough to discipline. Amen? God spoke to Moses and swore to give it to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm so thankful that God is faithful to his promises and his will will be accomplished with or without our help. You shall not cross over there. But what, what, what are some of the things that Moses did that were so faithful? Let me remind you. Though Moses had been faithful in his service to God and his children for 40 years, he had faced Pharaoh. Remember how he left Egypt? How did he leave Egypt? He was running for his life. He had killed a, an Egyptian soldier and buried him in the ground. And he'd been seen and found out. And Pharaoh was going to have his own adopted son, the, the prince of Egypt, put to death. And he ran for his life. And now he spent forty years on the backside of the desert. He spent forty years being somebody, and then forty years being nobody, and then forty years proving God can use anybody. Amen. Folding the Bible, the number of testing. But when he was on the backside of the desert, when he's out there in Midian and he's watching sheep. By the way, can you imagine watching sheep for forty years? Forty minutes at the petting zoo would be an eternity. (laughs) Amen. Forty minutes. You know, I I used to take my grandkids. We feed the goats and the sheep at the when we go get our Christmas tree in Santa Cruz. I'm thinking eight minutes. I'm good. I've petted him. Next. Can you imagine 40 years? And for Moses, he thought that was all he was ever going to do. And sometimes as believers, maybe we were on fire for God and then we fell away. We're going through trial. And we just think, well, this is it. This is my lot in life. Do you know that God has greater things in store? Amen. Do you know that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think? Moses was learning a hard lesson on the backside of the desert. Not really realizing that 40 years watching sheep was preparing him for 40 years leading a bunch of whiners in the desert. Amen? God, no suffering is wasted. Everything we go through is preparation for what God has next. And praise God for that. But as he's out there in the desert, we know that what happened saw a burning bush. And God spoke to him. Can you imagine if Moses had just kept walking? What if he had ignored the burning bush? And I think that's the sad sad truth of the life of a lot of Christians. Saved souls, wasted lives. You know, you you heard me use the analogy, Egypt is the world, God delivers us out of bondage, but the land of promise is the Spirit-filled life. And a lot of people spend all of their life between Egypt and Jordan. They are born again, they're saved, but they never enter into all that God has for them. I'll tell you what, I want to be in the center of God's will, and I want to live with reckless abandon for Jesus Christ. Sold out. Not much time left. Let's be about it. Amen? So Moses gets a glimpse of it. At the same time there, there, if you're truly a servant, and we'll see that Moses is, you're blessed even if you don't get to go because you know others will. Amen? You're blessed when God does something great in someone else's life. You're blessed that you get to be a part of ministering to people and seeing the Lord work in and through them. So he had faced Pharaoh, the guy that he ran from before. God gave him bravery. He delivered the people from bondage. He brought the law to the people, the word of God. He had intimate fellowship with God. He went up on the mountain, and the backside of God's presence went by him and he came down glowing. Because he'd been hanging out with Jesus, hanging out with God. What a powerful thing. Amen. That's Moses. He led them to the wilderness. He interceded on their behalf. And it's despite all of that, he was not going to go in because he misrepresented God to the people. By the way, i got people coming to my door every once in a while misrepresenting God. Can we say amen to that? Hey, we're here to tell you about we're Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. We've got Jesus Christ in our name. Uh, you reject the Jesus Christ of the Bible. You believe you're going to be God of your own planet. Uh, there's someone else that, th- that wanted to be God. His name's Lucifer. Amen? What you're peddling is a doctrine of the devil. What the cults do is they try to make God less and man more. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Michael, the arch- archangel, is Jesus. Jesus didn't die on the cross. Judas did. And they'd reject the deity of Christ. And they- it's a mess. And I pray for them and I love them. But the Bible says not to invite them in. They're peddling a lie. Amen? And when they leave your house, don't say, God bless you. We don't want God to bless that nonsense. I tell them, I'm going to follow you around the neighborhood so you don't bug any of my neighbors. You might want to just get in your car and go. Because I'm going to stand behind you and go, that's a lie. He's lying, not telling you the truth. I want to pray for these people. We love them. Do we love the Mormons? What's the answer? We love the old Jehovah's Witnesses. the Lord love them? But they bought a lie. Lord help. We don't want to misrepresent God. we want to represent his character well. Moses had blown it. He smote the rock. He was angry. He misrepresented the Lord. And because of that, in Numbers chapter 20, he would not enter in to the land of promise. It's heartbreaking. Moses would not be able to enter in. Moses prayed. You know, Moses prays that God would change his mind, and God says no. So next time you pray for something and God says no, you're in good company. Amen. Moses prayed. Please, Lord, can you, I blew it. Please forgive me. I've forgiven you. You're still not going. (laughs) Because you misrepresented me. I love you. I've forgiven you. Moses is in God's hall of faith. Man of transfiguration, two people are talking to Jesus. Who are they? Moses Moses and Elijah. By the way. People would say, well, God promised he'd go into the land of promise, and he didn't. Well, actually, he did. Mount of Transfiguration. Amen? Moses is in the land. So Moses is a godly man, but his behavior has consequences. Was the punishment too harsh? Lawgiver, deliverer, leader of the Jewish nation. He knew that with great privileges come great responsibility. By the way, Spider-Man didn't make that up. That, that's in the Bible. Peter Parker with great responsibility. (laughs) No, that's from the Bible. Amen. Moses represented God to the people, but he dared to misrepresent him. You know, God in his grace, again, he forgives our sin, but he often allows the consequences to remain. Can God sometimes take away the consequences? What's the answer? He can, and he does. He suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Consequences are good. If there's no consequences, we'd all be running amok. If there were no police and no highway patrol, what would this, How fast would people be driving on the freeway? Praise God. And we talk about the law is not a fence, you know, to keep us from fun. It's a guardrail to keep us from harm. Amen. Now, here's Moses's epitaph. What's an epitaph? It's what they write on your tombstone. I've got to do that for my dad, by the way. I haven't done it yet. And uh, you know. We have his ashes at my sister's house, and I'm not a big... I tell my wife, as far as my body, put me on a curb in a hefty bag, I don't care. I'll be in heaven. Amen? And it's funny, my dad has a POA. It's, it's like 300 pages long. He went to an attorney, and you go through it, and it's got all this stuff. Everything is very succinct. You get to his memorial service, there's nothing. Not a word. For my mom, not a word. Dad doesn't care. I'll be in heaven, son. Do whatever you think. I don't care. It's not for me. It's for you. And we did do a memorial service, and about 500 people showed up, and God was glorified. But guys, if you're going to heaven, it's okay. I want, I want my funeral, and I want you to play this kind of song, and I want purple balloons, and I want, do whatever you want, because I won't be there, and I don't care. Amen? Well, Moses has an epitaph, and so what is going to be written, in a sense? What are, what's going to be said of Moses? How is Moses remembered by God? Is it Moses, prince of Egypt? Could have been. Moses, murderer of an Egyptian. Moses, shepherd in the wilderness. Moses, spokesman for a nation. Moses, miracle worker. Moses, the prophet. Moses, the man who saw God's glory. Moses, who glowed in the dark. Moses, who rebelled in the wilderness and couldn't enter in because he misrepresented God. What does it say there in verse 5? So Moses, the servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord. Can there be a greater way for a follower of Almighty God to be described? A servant of the Lord. Faithfully serving God. You know the word pastor means under rower. An under rower is somebody who's at the bottom of the ship that nobody sees. Pat, you, know, you ever saw Ben-Hur, right? The guys in the bottom paddling the boat out of everyone's sight. They're the biggest servants in the building. Too many churches have got it twisted where the pastor's elevated and the... No, the pastor should be the biggest servant in the building, servant of all. And Moses is being described as a servant of the Lord. When people think about us, if you went to your co-workers, you went to your neighbors, you went to family and friends, they said, describe so-and-so in a sentence. I would hope maybe they would say, a servant of the Lord. Loves Jesus. Amen? Not successful, handsome, whatever. The stuff that's perishing. But what about the stuff that is eternal? Guys, that should be enough for us. Do you know this? To be a satisfied servant of the Lord is such a precious, precious place to be. For when the master is glorified, the servant is satisfied. Let me say that again. When the master is glorified, the true servant is satisfied. The servant doesn't need to be glorified. He doesn't need anybody to remember his name. He doesn't need his name in lights. He doesn't need a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He doesn't need, you know, to be praised on Facebook. Or he doesn't need a, a, to be well-known or fragrance named after him or whatever. A true servant just wants his master to be glorified. Guys, I hope they forget our name and they remember his. Amen? Amen? Yes. That we walk... Who was the, I don't, Who cares? What about Jesus? Let's remember Jesus, amen? It's all about Jesus. For when the master is glorified, the servants are satisfied. And a true servant is demonstrated by how you respond when someone treats you like one. I'm not going back, that guy, they treat me like a servant over there. What do you think they am, a servant? Yes. Yes. Um, There's a a guy, a a Christian speaker, he said, schools of ministry should be called schools of slavery. I'm in the school of slavery, hoping to get in, I applied. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping they'll hook me up and let me be a slave. But reality, that's what we are. We're to be servants of Jesus, amen? Amen. But do you know that being a slave is not bad if you have an amazing master? Can we say amen to that? We see the bondservant in the New Testament. It means bound by love, not by law. It's someone who, who's who been said they, they can go free, and they say, I don't want to leave. I paid my debt to you, but you're an amazing master. I don't want to be anywhere else. I want to stay here. And they take them, and they drive an all through their ear, and it goes into the wood, and the blood's spilled. Again, picture of Christ on the cross, you know, pierced. And from that day forward, they're now bound by love, not by law. And, and you'll see the apostles refer to themselves repeatedly a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm bound to him by love, not by law. It's a get to, not a have to. I can't believe that Almighty God is my dad. Amen? I can't believe I've been adopted into God's family. I can't believe he's filled me with his Holy Spirit. I can't believe I get to have intimate fellowship with Almighty God. What a blessing. Moses understood that. He was a servant of the Lord. Notice it says there, in verse 5, it says he died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. Moses didn't die because his body gave up. We're going to see in a few verses that his, his eyesight was still perfect. I'm 54, and about every two years I have to get stronger glasses because I just keep going more and more blind. He's 120, there are no opticians, and he still sees perfect. God's not done with him, as far as physically. But God's done with him because of choices that he made. Again, he had an appointment with God. It's on his 120th birthday. Again, 40 the number of testing. 40 years as a prince, 40 years as a shepherd, now 40 years as a deliverer, and now he's going to enter into the presence of God. Moses died, again, not because he gave out physically, but by the sentence of God as punishment for his sin. Again, he was forgiven and going to heaven. And he was going to spend the eternity with Almighty God. We're going to see Moses one day. But at the same time, he missed out on God's highest because of choices he made. How many people can say amen that I know that that's true part of my life? Who can say amen to that? I've missed out on God's highest because of choices I've made at times. Can we say amen? We've all done it. We've, allowed our, we've chased after the temporal instead of surrendering to God. We've allowed our pride to get in the way, our anger to get in the way. We've blown our testimony at times. The good news is God is gracious, and we can take a million steps away from God. It's only one step back. Look at verse 6. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. It says, He buried him. Who buried him? God buried him. God buried Moses. How did God do that? I don't know. But He speaks the stars into the sky. Could He bury bones? What's the answer? God buried him. Yeah. He buried him. Now, why did God bury Moses? You know, you know if you go in, um, in Jude, it says that Michael and Lucifer contended for the body of Moses. Read Jude later. It's one, it's one book, one chapter, the whole book. Jude, Jude 9, verse 9. They contended, Michael's the archangel, and Lucifer, they contended for the body of Moses. As we know, Michael was victorious, and God buried Moses. Why would Lucifer want the body of Moses? Ever thought about that? Why would he want it? Lucifer would love to have the body of Moses, so maybe he could uh, build a temple to Moses... And have everybody come through and want to touch the bones so they would worship Moses instead of worshiping God. Amen? Uh, you know, I mean that's crazy. Oh no 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 would ever do that. You mean like worshiping Mary? Or kissing a statue of Peter on the toes? Or wearing a, a saint around your neck for protection? Uh, guys, I'm not. if you've got a Catholic background, God bless you. It's okay. And I believe there are Christians within the Catholic Church. But we don't worship saints. We worship Jesus. Amen. Saints are sinners. By the way, you don't become a saint when you die. You become a saint when you get saved. So we're saints. So don't be worshiping me. Amen? We're either saints or an ain't. Amen? You're either a saint or an ain't. If you've been born again, you're a saint. Saint means set-apart set, set one or sanctified one. We are sanctified. We're set apart unto the Lord. But we don't worship men. We worship God. Amen? And we live in a time now where I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I follow this pastor. Don't follow men. Follow God. Men will fail you. They're all sinners. All of them. All of us. Amen? So they're contending for the body. And again, I believe Lucifer wants it to become you know, some kind of relic. They get people's eyes off of God, and then they can talk about... Now, the the amazing part, we're going to see in just a couple verses here, they're going to mourn an entire month for Moses. But what's amazing about that to me, and usually it's seven days, they mourn for a month, but didn't they complain about Moses pretty much every day for 40 years? They complained, they murmured, Aaron and his, Aaron and Miriam even came against him. Uh, they, they raised up some of the elders that come against him. They, they, you know, they tried to go back to Egypt. They murmured, they complained. But have you ever noticed that when somebody dies, nobody complains about them anymore? Have you ever been to a funeral where anybody ever got up and said, "You know, this guy was a jerk?" <laughs> Does that ever happen? Have you ever been to, isn't, isn't every funeral you've ever been to, everybody talks about they're the nicest person who ever lived? I wish I would have met some of these people before they died, because that story I hear is always the same. I've done a couple hundred funerals, and probably 50 of them, people I haven't met, and I sit down with the family, and they tell me stories, and by the time you're done, you're thinking, wow, amazing, unreal, because... When we look at the people that have gone, you know, there's a respect and an awe and a reverence. And I I get that. And I think it's a good thing to a certain degree. But I think there's a false understanding. We think that all men are good. When here's the reality, all men are evil. Can we say amen to that? I didn't come to church to be told I was evil. I I didn't like that. (laughs) But the reality is, we're all sinners. That's why Jesus came. Amen. And he loves us anyway. He who knows you best loves you most. Praise God. Amen? He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever thought or done, and he loves you anyway. What a gracious God we serve. And here's Moses. And the Lord buried him to keep Moses from being the other person besides Mary in heaven if she knew what was going on on earth, who would be grieved. Can you imagine being Mary in heaven if you knew what was going on down here? I don't believe she has a clue. I think when we're in heaven, we're not looking that way. We're looking this way. Can we say amen? Almighty God's here. Whatever's going on, I don't think we could see anyway if we wanted to, but I'm, I'm right here. I'm good. That was a, I was there for long enough. That was a mess. We'll pray for that. But I'm, I'm right here. Amen? Mary would come and say, stop worshiping me. Amen? Knock it off. Don't do that. Well, this is exactly what happens here with Moses. God, notice it says he buries his body, and nobody knows where his body is to this day. Because if they found a sepulcher with Moses' name on it, there'd be a tabernacle on that thing a week later. Can we say amen? People would be flying from all over the world to walk through the box that Moses' bones were in. Oh, I went to the Moses bones. Oh, I touched it. They'd be selling sand outside of it. Oh, Moses' bones might have rubbed up against this. Wear it in a necklace and you'll be lucky. I mean, God said, I'm having none of that. Bury him. Nobody needs to know where he was. Stop. Lucifer knows it too because he fights for the body of Moses. Could it be that Moses knew Not that it would have stopped anything. I mean, Lucifer knew that Moses was going to be in the Mount of Transfiguration. I'll put a stop to that. I'll put a stop to him being one of those two witnesses in the last days walking around. I'll get his body. God would just recreate him anyway. Amen. Give him a new body anyway. Do you know the witnesses, right? In the last days, it talks about two witnesses, that they'll all be killed, and the whole world will see it, and they'll raise from the dead. And everybody would always say, how in the world can everybody in the world see something happening in Israel? Well, um, now everybody in the world can see something happening in Israel all at the same time, any time of day. Can we say amen? And that was in the Bible, written 2,000 years ago. The Bible rocks. Amen? So Moses' body is buried. He did not enter into the land But he would enter into the land later at the Mount of Transfiguration and spoke to the Lord again regarding the Exodus. Consider that God had purposes for Moses' body, which Satan wanted to defeat, whatever it was. No one knew where his body was, and no doubt to prevent men from making a shrine, the lawgiver's tomb, worshiping him. Verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor was his uh, is natural vigor diminished. You know what? You can read that verse and someone's going to start the Moses diet. You know it's coming. 120 and had no problem with his eyes. The Moses diet. Amen? Right? You just see it. Manna. It's manna. Eat manna. Right? And water from a rock. You'll live to be 120. Right? But Moses lived to be 120 years old. And we've talked about this. I'll repeat it one more time. 40 is the number of testing. In the Bible, he spent 80 years in preparation for 40 years of ministry. Most people today spend three years of preparation or three weeks of preparation for a lifetime of ministry. And, you know, the Bible says, lay hands on no man quickly. We get impatient that we want to be used by God. But a lot of times God wants to prepare us to make us usable for his kingdom. So Moses was still sharp physically, but he was unable to lead them in, not because of his physical infirmity, but because of his spiritual rebellion. Since consequences, again, kept him from God's highest. I've shared this many times. We've got some new people here tonight. I'll mention it one more time. Remember, Moses is a picture of the law, right? The law of Moses. The law of Moses. He's the law. Who's going to lead him into the land of promise? We're going to start looking at his story next week. What's his name? Joshua. Joshua. Moses is a picture of the law. Joshua's name is Joshua. It's also Jesus. Because the law cannot... Moses didn't bring him into the land because the law can't save us. Only Jesus can. Amen? Bible rocks. Nothing happens by chance in the word of God. We will see again, though, that Moses, in a lot of ways, is a type or a picture of Christ. Verse 8. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. They wept 30 days. Again, the same man they rebelled against, the same man they had problems with, the same man who they, who they fought against and, and cried out for a quail, and you know, all the things happened in the land. And now that he's gone... They appreciate who he was and all he did. They wept and mourned 30 days, not seven. They showed their great respect for Moses. But notice what it says at the end of that verse. But the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. As great as Moses was, after mourning, it was time to move on. Can I say this as Christians? Be careful. And I get it. I, you know, being a pastor for 30 years, I've... Set with people who've had children die. Oh. Um, we had a family in our church in Santa Cruz. They had two, they had twin daughters. That was all their children. And the girls were working at an outreach we were doing in Santa Cruz. And they were driving home and a drunk driver went through a red light and killed them both. So the entire, all, no grandkids, their children, over. Gnarly. Guy in my church in Lancaster, his three-year-old daughter they're playing out in the driveway and um, running around the, the his uncle's truck their uncle's truck and the four-year-old got in and went from the front seat to the back seat, kicked the, the thing into gear on accident when she'd flipped over the three-year-old fell out the truck ran over the top of her and killed her her parents found her in the driveway the, the mourning uh, weeping mourning beyond what you can even i mean the depths of it and there are things we've gone through in life that we mourn over without question But do you know as Christians, the mourning should end? Can we say amen to that? We grieve but not as those without hope. Those twin girls, that was 20 years ago. They've been in heaven a long time. They're doing better than us. The three-year-old girl, that was 25 years ago. She's been in heaven a long time. They're going to see her again. I'm not saying we don't grieve. We do. I'm not saying we don't weep. We do. But we should not weep without hope. I've done funerals for people that don't know God, and I've seen people that are laying on the casket and won't let go. When they lower, I've seen this happens every time I do, especially for some families of unbelievers. When they lower the lid on the casket and they know they're not going to see that, as long as they can see their face, they still feel a connection. And when it goes down, you see people lose their minds. Because for them, this is it. Do you know, as Christians, we die well. Amen? We close our eyes on earth and we open them up in glory. I miss my dad every day. I have such peace because I know exactly where he is. And I'm going to see him again. And he's doing better than all of us. Amen? There's peace. So the mourning ended. And I, I don't want to downplay anybody in here who might be mourning. I, knew, I know a, a lady right now um, from a church that I used to be a pastor of that she's been mourning the death of her daughter for 15 years, and every day on her Facebook there's another picture of her daughter and more mourning, and she wears black, and she's got candles of her family, and she just won't, and and I get it. I'm not downplaying the mourning. But guys, we have the joy of the Lord and the promise of heaven. Amen? And so even a man like Moses, people mourned. But the mourning comes to an end. Amen? The enemy wants us to mourn. The morning ended, and God kept working. Amen? No one's irreplaceable in the kingdom of God. God's work and God's will will continue. If the the Lord doesn't rapture the church before we die, guess what? It'll keep going after we die. Praise the Lord. Amen? And matter of fact, we need to make sure we give it to the next generation well. That we're giving ministry away. That we're equipping people. How many you guys have you've gotten to know Joshua Camper a little bit? Taught last Thursday. That's a young man who's young enough to be my son. And I'm discipling him. And I know that God's got a plan. So you know, if I go to heaven, he can just step right. If I get hit by a bus, just put him here next week. It's all good. Because it's not about men. It's about the Lord and people called and gifted by God. Amen? Let's give it away. It's not about us. It's about him. Moses gave it to Joshua. We're going to see that here in the final few verses. So the first thing we see is a warning to be heeded that sin does have consequences even upon the most righteous of people, even upon those being used mildly by God. As my friend said, I'll repeat it one more time. He said, tell your people that the consequences of sin are often far greater than they can even imagine. Lord, help us. The enemy will tell you, you've been forgiven. You guys heard that before in your ear? You've been forgiven. Go ahead and do it. It's okay gave you. Am I the only one that ever hears that? The enemy will tell you, you've been forgiven. And is it true that we've been forgiven? What's the answer? And sometimes I'll, like, you know, I don't audibly hear it, but, you know, it's like the temptation. And I'll go, yeah, but consequences are still there. (laughs) And one of those consequences is separation from God, right? Broken fellowship till there's repentance. Lord help. So finally, we've seen a warning to be heeded. Now an example to follow. Moses knows he's not going in, but he doesn't pout, he doesn't rebel, he remains faithful to the end. Lord, help us to remain faithful to the end. Look at the last few verses. Verse 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, see, nuns have children. The son of Nun, (laughs) is it not spelled N-U-N right there? Okay. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses raised up his successor. How did he do that? He gave ministry away. Here's what happens in ministry sometimes. Be careful. There are some people that think they're the only ones that can do anything. You may have even gone to a church where it's like the pastor and another guy and they're doing everything. I don't want to do what you're called to do because I won't do it as well as you will. Amen? Amen? And the body of Christ happens, you know, when, you know, for all eyes, where's the hearing? And God brings you to this fellowship, and if you feel called to be here, God's giving you gifts I don't have, and giving me gifts maybe you don't have, and God uses us to minister one to another. That's the body of Christ. Can we say amen to that? And so Moses doesn't say, well, God's not going to let me go. I'll just leave them without anybody to take them. How about I do that? He'd been told years earlier he wasn't going. He smote the rock a long time beforehand. He still poured his life into Joshua, didn't he? He still had an eternal perspective, right? He didn't get mad at God and pout. He didn't complain. He didn't rebel. He didn't murmur. By the way, complaining is sin. Can we say amen to that? I think I've told you guys this before, but I'll tell you again just to give you the frailties of your pastor. You know, in, in high school and middle school, they have these Hall of Fames, right, at the end of the year. And they had a Hall of Fame in my middle school in Fountain Valley and they called me in to say, oh, you gotta come in for a Hall of Fame photo. I thought, oh, cool. So I thought, I either got best athlete or most funny. I got biggest complainer. <laughs> and then I complained that I won biggest complainer. Okay, <laughs> for biggest complainer, you know, Kathy so-and-so and Dave John, I go, what? <laughs> I am not the big, you know, <laughs> Complaining about being the big, I should find my junior, high, I should bring it in here and show you. And the picture, they had us both going like this to each other, you know. <laughs> Biggest complainer. I'm like, oh, Lord, help. So convicted. But when we complain and when we murmur, aren't we really complaining against God? Because doesn't he provide for us? Isn't he the one that cares for us? Isn't he the one that loves us? So if we complain about, you know, we're not trusting God. If we're fearful, if we're anxious, we're worried. We all go through those things. But when we do, we need to turn to the Lord. Amen not wallow in it, not remain there, ask for forgiveness, ask for God's help. So Moses doesn't complain. Moses just pours his life into Joshua to prepare him to be the one to go in the land because he's not going. He's giving ministry away. And praise God for that. He identified his gifting. Notice it says there, he laid hands on him. When we lay hands on people to ordain people as a pastor or, or in ministry... We don't do anything. God already did it. We just recognize what God already did. Amen? In the years I've been a pastor, I've ordained, a, you know, I don't know, a couple dozen people. And every time someone gets ordained, people go, oh, I thought he was a pastor a long time ago. Because if somebody's called, they're going to do it whether they're recognized or not. Amen? If you're a servant here, you'll come and serve. And if nobody ever remembers your name, and, uh, and nobody, well, I did all that. Nobody gave me a pat on the back. Well, if that's what you want, that'll be your reward. If you're doing it for the Lord, it won't matter if anybody ever notices. Can we say amen to that? Come early, set up the chair. Nobody noticed I set up all the chairs. Everybody left. They're all talking over there eating cupcakes. I'm putting the chairs away. (laughs) Someone should pat me on the back. Can we say amen to that? And we get this mentality. Like, if we're doing it for the Lord, nobody has to notice. Amen? If we're doing it for the Lord, I get to do this for God. What a blessing. I'm mopping for Jesus, right? Praise God. Anything that we get to do for the kingdom and for his glory. Not only did he identify his gifting and lay his hands on him, who does he take with him out into battle? Remember when he fought the Amalekites? You know, when he, fought, when he was out fighting the enemy? What did he, he do? Joshua, Joshua was out there fighting with a sword, and Moses is the one holding up the staff. You guys remember that? as long as Moses' hands were up, they had victory. There's a picture of surrender and prayer, but there was Joshua out there fighting the battle. And he was putting him in places and allowing him to grow. My pastor in, in Lancaster, I was in my early 20s. And the first time I taught a, a church full of adults, I had five minutes notice. That's called throwing you into the deep end of the pool. Hey, you know how to swim? Well, learn. <laughs> and he just kept stretching me. And I'm thankful for that. I talked to him this, I just saw him at the pastor's conference. He goes, Dave, I knew the second week you were there that God had a calling on your life and you just didn't know it yet. And I just thought, man, I'm gonna stretch that young man. And he did. And praise God for that. Amen. And praise God for people that love us enough and care about us enough to give us opportunities that we feel unworthy. I can't do I can't do you're right, you can't do that. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God, when you know when you know when you grow the most? When you get out of your comfort zone. Can we say amen to that? The first time, I was so uncomfortable, I was scared half to death. I was sitting in the front row with my suit on, I had a 90-mile commute. I'm sitting down, it's the last worship song. I've taught three Bible studies to four girls in the youth group in my life. All sisters. No tapes, thank you, God. Would have been a mess I'm sitting there relaxing. The guy comes out. Hey, Pastor John wants to talk to you. I'm thinking he needs something. I jump up. How can I help? I go in his office. He's not there. The phone's off the hook. I pick it up. I'm at the airport. You're teaching. I got stuck. I'm teaching when? I'm thinking you got four or five minutes. (laughs) Lord, help. It's a good place to be. Amen. I taught, count it all joy, my brother, when you fall into various trials out of James chapter one, because I was in one. Amen. Um, you, know, you know, you got five minutes. Okay, I've got to teach a Bible study in five minutes. I have no notes, and I've taught three Bible studies in my life. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know. But you know what? God did the same thing with Joshua through Moses. Who went up, didn't go all the way up the mountain, but who stayed at the mountain when, Mo, when, when Moses was on the mountain? Who stayed there? Joshua. Who went into the land and came back with a good report? Joshua. Joshua. Who is God preparing all along? And Joshua probably would have never imagined in his lifetime that Moses wasn't going to go in and he was going to lead them into the land of promise and to fight all the giants. But fighting the Amalekites was preparation. Going into the land and seeing them as a defeated foe was preparation. Guys, all the trials we go through in life are all preparation for what God has next. Can we say amen to that? So when you're going through difficulty, don't blame God. Thank God and say, okay, God, you're going to use this. Praise the Lord, Amen. Every one of you guys who calls this church home, do you know that every one of you is an answer to my prayers? And I pr- and I pray for things, and I will never uh, call people to do things necessarily, because if I call you, I have to sustain you. But if God calls you, He will sustain you. And some of you come and you go, hey, we ought to do this. I'm like, I've been praying for that for three. Yeah, Amen. Glad you showed up, Amen. Let people use their gifts. Give ministry away. Let us all grow in our faith. Let us all get stretched a little bit. It's a good thing. Joshua did whatever the Lord commanded Moses. Moses didn't powder a bell. He finished strong. He gave ministry away. Last three verses. But since there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, who the Lord knew face to face. Is that a powerful statement? He says, but since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses. That means the greatest prophet who ever lived was Moses. Is that not what that verse says? Moses. Later it says, of men born among women, Jesus would say the greatest was John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. So here's this mighty prophet of God. He still doesn't get to enter in because he's representing the Lord. But he was a mighty man of God, used mightily by the Lord. There's not risen out of Israel a prophet like Moses. Several unique things about Moses. Notice what it says there. He knew the Lord face to face. Do you know that while he literally was in God's presence, remember he puts him in the cleft of the rock? And the backside of God passes by, and just that, he comes down glowing. Remember, he veiled his face, because he didn't want him to know the glow was wearing off. Amen? And so, he went up on the mountain, and he was in the presence of God. But do you know that we can be in the presence of God? Can we say amen to that? When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the veil? It's torn. From top to bottom, by the way, because God tore it. Amen? He tore from top to bottom, and before, only the high priest on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, could enter into the Holy of Holies. One day a year, with the sacrifice, and only the high priest. But once the veil was torn, we can all enter into God's presence anywhere and anytime. Praise God. Amen? We can be in God's presence driving down the freeway. We can be in God's presence kneeling by our bed. We can be in God's presence. We have intimate fellowship with Him. We're His children. He's Abba. Abba means father, daddy. Daddy's someone whose lap you crawl into. You have intimate fellowship with God. Can I encourage you, if you're struggling in life, you need more intimate fellowship with God. If you need wisdom and direction for life, you need more intimate fellowship with God. We're all as close to God as we want to be. Amen? And if we're not as close as we used to be, God didn't move, we did. But we can get close to Him again. My encouragement for us in the coming year, make time every day for the Lord. Make Him the priority and passion of your life. Can I encourage you to wake up with Him on your mind and go to sleep with Him on your mind and have Him on your mind all day in between? What does He say? Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. Wake up in the morning. This is what happens in my house. I mean, I got this from Samuel, but I've been doing this for decades and it's just automatic now. When I wake up, the first thing I do is I say, yes, Lord. Ask my wife. I wake up and it's, yes, Lord. Because that's, that's what Samuel did. I want just the first thought on my lips, the first thing before my feet hit the ground. Yes, Lord. Let me begin my day with you. Spend my day with you. End my day with you. I want intimate fellowship with God. You know why we don't have more power in the church? A lack of intimate fellowship with God. God. The reason we're not more bold in our witness, a lack of intimate fellowship with God. The reason we have to plead with people to serve in ministry is a lack of... If you're in intimate fellowship with God, serving Him is a get-to, not a have-to. I get to serve God. I love Him. By the way, if you're in intimate fellowship with God, you'll tell other people about Him. If you're in intimate fellowship with God, you'll introduce people to Him. Amen? It says Moses was a prophet like no other, and it says... But he saw him face to face. By the way, isn't it good to know that one of these days we're going to see our Savior face to face? I'm longing for that day. How about you? My dad was blind the last six months of his life. And I actually got in the car and was getting ready to drive to the airport. He was living in Hawaii. I got back out of the car and I told my wife, I said, I need to go talk to my dad. And I went and sat in front of his wheelchair and I talked to my dad for over an hour and I just poured out my heart to him about everything he'd ever done for me and how much he meant to me and how much I loved him. And just how thankful I was that I got to be his son. There's actually a picture of it. It was a picture of it on Facebook a few months back. And I just sat there talking to my dad. My wife had taken a picture while I was talking to him. And one of the things I said to my dad, I said, Dad, you're blind. It breaks my heart. I was weeping because I can't imagine. I said, you know what, Dad? The next person you're going to see is Jesus. And he just grinned ear to ear. My dad was blind. He could quote entire books of the Bible off the top of his head because he hid God's word in his heart. Amen? Isn't it good to know we're going to see Jesus face to face? My dad's seeing them right now. You got people that love the Lord that went before you? That's where they are. We don't need to weep for them. We can rejoice for them. I mean weep for us. We miss them. We don't weep for them. Look at verse eleven. He knew him face to face. What else was unique? It says there and all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants in his land. Did Moses do some miracles in Egypt? I mean God did them, but did he not use Moses? All the plagues in Egypt, and they would bring out their... Fa- and you know, all the, virtually all the plagues were pointing to how powerless their gods were. They had a god of lice, so they, here's some lice for you. Let's get your god of lice to stop that. They had a god of the river Nile, let's turn the river into blood. Now you get your god out there and see what happens. Amen? And every plague was showing that our god is God, and their gods were false gods. And God used Moses in a mighty and powerful way because he could speak with boldness because he knew he had heard from the Lord. And part of the reason that the church is so handicapped today is people walk around not knowing that they've heard from the Lord because they're not spending enough time with the Lord. Amen? We can stand up and say, no, God's Word says, and yeah, I believe it, and I know it because I know Him. The word to know God is gnosko. It doesn't mean know by head knowledge. It means to know by experience. We know Him. He went before Pharaoh. We don't have time to go into it. He parted the Red Sea. Did God put him in a bad spot on purpose? What's the answer? Yes. They got out of Egypt, and, and they, took, they took all the spoils out of Egypt, and they're dawdling along, and they're all celebrating, and all of a sudden, there's a mountain on this side, and a cliff on this side, and a sea behind them, and the Egyptian army, the greatest army known to mankind at the time, has changed their mind, and coming up on them, and they're all looking at Moses. You brought us out, and to die. And they had to be in a really tough spot so they could see God move. Amen? And God tells Moses, lift up your hands. And the sea parts, and they walk through on dry land, and all of Pharaoh's people did the dead man float. <laughs> Pharaoh, Pharaoh. You guys remember that song from Sunday school. <laughs> right? You know, they go to the bottom of the Red Sea now, and you know, they, they're pulling out fossilized uh, you know, wheels from chariots. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> Word of God rocks. But they go through... But, guys, it's because they got in a place where only God could fix it that they got to see God fix it. Amen? But if we've got a ton of money in the bank and everybody's healthy and everything's perfect, we can forget about God. It seems to be desperate for God. But when we're in a situation where only God can fix it. Boy, that gets us on our knees crying out to God, doesn't it? That was Moses. And then final verse there, it says, And by almighty power... And all the terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. Before all the servants in all his land, and by all the mighty power, with the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. The people knew that God was real because they saw him in Moses. They knew that he was powerful because they saw the power in Moses. It wasn't Moses' power, it was God's power in Moses. People will know that our God is real if they see him in us. Let me finish with this about Moses, because this is uh, pretty incredible when you think about it. Do you know that Moses is so much of a picture of our Savior? Let me give you a few things real quick as we close. Moses was not only a great prophet, but a type of Christ. He was born into a godly family during a difficult time for the Jewish people, and his life was threatened from his birth. Did the same thing happen to Jesus? What's the answer? Moses left treasures of Egypt, power, position, and wealth. Jesus left heaven to come and be a human being. Moses, like Jesus, was rejected by his people the first time he came. Israel rejected Jesus at his first coming, but they will receive him when he comes again. Moses had intimate fellowship with God, spoke to him directly. Jesus, of course, had intimate fellowship with the Father. Moses had a heart of a shepherd toward the children of Israel. Jesus is the good shepherd. Moses interceded on behalf of the people. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us right now. Amen? Moses delivered the word to God's people. Jesus is the word. Is it any wonder that God used Moses so mightily? Moses delivered the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, and Jesus has delivered us from the bondage of sin and death because he triumphed over it. Amen? Moses was meek. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly of heart. Moses' ministry began after 40 years in the desert. Jesus' public ministry began after 40 days being tempted in the wilderness. Do you think all this stuff happens by chance in the Bible? The Bible rocks. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, all of it. Jesus' face shone on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Moses' face shown when he came down from Mount Sinai, and Moses finished his work God had given him. So did Jesus when he said on the cross, it is finished. Remember that God called Moses when he thought his life was over, when he was out tending sheep, and he thought that's all his life was going to be. Some of us in the room right now may think, well, this is, what I'm, this is where I am. This is how my life's going to finish. God doesn't have anything else for me. Can I encourage you? As long as you're breathing in and out, God's got more things for you. Amen? God's not done using us. He's looking not for ability, but availability. Remember, was a, Moses was a stuttering shepherd, and God used him to be a spokesman. God can take people just like us and use us for his glory. So the death of Moses finishing strong, we see the warning to be heeded that sin has consequences, that no man or woman is irreplaceable. God doesn't need us, we need him. Can we say amen to that? And then finally, we see an example to follow. You know, whether we have 10 days, 10 months, 10 years, 50 years, I pray that we would live every day in light of eternity. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we praise you. I thank you for everyone's patience tonight. I thank you, Lord, that we finished the law of Moses looking at it. What a picture of our Savior. And, Lord, I pray that you would light a fire in every one of our hearts to not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives, not to be satisfied, caught between Egypt and the land of promise, that we would desire to walk in the center of your will, to be the men and women of God that you want us to be. And, Lord, we know that we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory, but we thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. And I pray, Lord, in the midst of consequences for our own choices, that we would not blame you or murmur, but, Lord, we would serve you to the fullest, that we'd keep our eyes on you, that we'd pour our lives into the lives of others. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. We look forward to going through Joshua starting next Thursday night. Look at another leader raised up, another mighty man of God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand up and worship.